Good morning, H2O. It's good to be here with you all this morning um, as we dive into God's Word. And if you're new or visiting, we're really glad that you're here. Um, Yeah, and if I haven't met you, I'd love to meet you after service, get to know you a little bit. Um, Yeah, and so we're going to be in Acts chapter 15 this week. Uh, You can go ahead and start turning there if you want while we kind of set the stage for uh, Acts chapter 15. Um, I think this is a text that a lot of the time... While we're re- if you're reading uh, the book of Acts from left to right, you might just kind of skim over it and be, okay, I get the main point, but not really spend a lot of time on it. Um, you know, it's just not as exciting as some of the rest of the book of Acts. You know, like Joe talked about last week, Paul and Barnabas, Paul, you know, having people try to kill him, different things like that. It's a little bit more action-packed than our text today, where we have a bunch of church leaders meeting together to make a decision. It's just not as engaging a lot of the times for people to kind of read this text, I think. Um, But I think that this text is really vital for how we understand the gospel, the good news of Jesus. It talks about the gist of what it means to be a Christian. What do you have to do to be a part of God's family, and what do you have to do to be a Christian? Um, And this is something that was debated in the early church. So how do we get into God's kingdom is the main main idea of this text. but like I said, I think we should, it would be very helpful to frame the text. Um, you know, we see in the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's, these, there's Jews and Gentiles, and there's this group called the Pharisees. Um, and in that day, it was really difficult to convert to Judaism from uh, just being what they would call a Gentile or anybody who's not Jewish. Um, you know, one thing was if you're a man, you had to be circumcised, so not the most pleasant of processes to get in, um, if you're familiar with that. Um, and so this, is, this goes all the way back to Genesis as a requirement for, for God's people, Israel, that they had to be circumcised to be a part of God's family. It was an external sign of their faith in God. Um, number two, it was important to be ritually clean. So you could hang out with certain people. You couldn't hang out with other people. You could only wear certain types of clothes. You could only eat certain types of foods. Um, and we talked about this a little bit earlier when we were going through Acts 10, uh, Peter has this vision of this tarp that comes down, and there's all these different foods on it, um, and God's saying, I've made all things clean. And, and we, we know that God wasn't just talking about the food there, but he's also talking about the Gentiles. Um, and then number three, there's about 613 Old Testament laws that you would have to keep as well. So there's a lot of restrictions. Like I said, you know, it depends on like what type of clothes you could wear, who you could hang out with, and, and it goes even more in depth with that. I mean, it's hard to memorize seven to ten things, let alone 613 different laws. Um, so there's all these th- different things that you had to do to become a Jew or to follow what God was telling people in the Old Testament. Um, and to just kind of drive this home even more, I have this, this picture of what the, uh, the temple divisions would have looked like up there. Um, and so this isn't to scale if you're like an engineering major or something and you're worried about that type of thing. But if you'll see here that you have like the Holy of Holies on the, on the far right side there, that is where God's presence was. And then outside of that, there's the court of the priests. So you had to be born into a certain tribe to even be in, to get into the, the court of the priest. And then outside of that, you have the court of the men of Israel and the court of Israel. So then there's another division there. And then the last one is the court of the Gentiles there where everyone was allowed in. So there's all these divisions 
uh, and they indicate a closeness to God. Um, so there's, like, like all I'm trying to say here is there's this stark contrast culturally between people who are Gentiles and people who are Jews in this day. Um, and this is easily lost on us because we don't really think about that in our modern context. So I, I really want to drive that home that there's this cultural context that exists in Paul and Peter's world here, that there's this division here. So it's not just some arbitrary thing as we're thinking about it from our modern day context, if that makes sense for us. Um, so like I said earlier, our main question is, what does, it, what does it take to be a part of God's family? All right. So with that framework, let's dive into Acts chapter 15. Um, in Acts chapter 15, verse 1 says this, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And we'll stop there real quick. So we have one group here that's saying, uh, in the first century church, saying that you need to be circumcised and have faith in Jesus to be saved. That was kind of the two steps that you needed, the minimum requirements. And I think, like I said earlier, it's easy for us to not really think about that as being an option, being in the the 21st century church. But with the cultural piece of, of the background, this makes sense that some people might think this, even though Jesus clearly taught against it. Um, and, and another thing to just drive this home even more is that if you're familiar with the story of David and Goliath, you know, David kills this giant and um, Israel is fighting against the Philistines and all that. Um, the insult that David uses against the Philistines is that they're uncircumcised. That was his insult. That was like how culturally in, ingrained this was. Um, so that, that's, that's kind of group one is you need circumcision plus uh, faith in Jesus. So you need something plus Jesus to be saved. And with that, we'll pick up in verse 2. Um, Acts 15 verse 2 says this, And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them. And, and just a quick note here, the dissension and debate piece I was really interested in when I first read it. I was like, that seems like really strong language. And the Greek word here, stasis, has this uh, connotation of like a political dissident. So you can imagine people like protesting in the street. It has that weight and that emotion to it. Um, so, and after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So, being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. Okay, so this sets the stage for our two sides of this debate here. So like we said earlier, we have the party that says you need to do something plus have faith in Jesus to be saved, okay? And and, uh, Luke here tells us that this group was led by some Pharisees. And if we remember back to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these, these were guys who were often opposed to Jesus and his ministry. Um, and so they were really well known for keeping the Old Testament laws, those 613 laws we talked about. And they were, were so extreme that like, they would tithe 10% of their spices and things to, uh, to show how holy they were. And they were well known for, for praying loudly in public places to kind of show off their uh, faith to other people. Um, so this is, this is the group one that we had talked about earlier. And then group two 
we have Paul and Barnabas who are saying, no, you do not have to be circumcised. They're, they're those people who are dissenting from this other position. And, and Paul and Barnabas here, they're, they're working their way to Jerusalem to this big council. They call it the Jerusalem Council, you know. Not the most creative name, but, you know, that's where it was. Um, and so they're visiting these churches that they've uh, helped start along the way. Um, and so I think this, these two divisions, the, we have the Paul and Barnabas, you know, you just need faith in Jesus, and then the, the Jesus plus something party the, of the Pharisees. Uh, I think our tendency, it shows our tendency to think one of two things. We either think we're not good enough, so we have to do something to be saved, so I need to fix my life to come to Jesus, or then we'll think that I am good enough and I've earned my salvation. So I think that, that reminds us of that Pharisee party, is, is, shows us those one, two, one or two things there. Um, with that, we'll pick up in uh, verse 6, and we'll hear the rest of this debate at the Jerusalem Council. So Acts 15, verse 6 says this, The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith, now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take, them, take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, After this, I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. So there's a lot there that we've got to unpack and, and work through. Uh, I want to take a second to acknowledge kind of a secondary point here that I think we could easily miss. And so we have these apostles and elders gathered together, and so the apostles here have some unique authority, and it's a unique time in church history here. But we also see that the elders are starting to step into leadership in, in the early church. Um, and we'll see that in church history, the apostles will often uh, die from different types of persecution. Um, you know, some people think that some of them were crucified upside down, some of them were boiled alive, different things like that, just really intense ways to die. Um, but the elders were the people that they were raising up to become the leaders of the early church. And we'll see throughout the rest of Acts when it comes to different decisions that are being made, it will be apostles and elders, apostles and elders, and apostles and elders. So this is the theme that we will see from now on with uh, church leadership. So I just wanted to acknowledge the fact that this is the pattern that we also follow here, that we are led by our elders here our, of Joe, Daryl, and Brian Wiles. So this is, this is our form of church governance, you might call it, and, and we're just following here the pattern we see established in Acts. 
And, you know, that being said, I do think the main uh, thrust of this meeting is to establish what it takes to be a part of God's family, but I think it's important to note that apostles and elders fact as well. So, in other words, what does it take to become a Christian? You know, this is something I feel like we hit home a lot last semester, but this is really a good clarifier for us, you know. And essentially what Paul, Barnabas, Peter, and James are all saying here is that we don't need to do any external work to be saved. It is by faith alone that we are saved. Um, and, you know, people ask Jesus, what must I do to be saved in John 3? And, and he says that you must be born again. Um, so we see that God is the one who makes us new because we can't make ourselves born again. But God makes us new. He, he adopts us into his family. And, you know, God just doesn't want a better version of us. He wants a, a new creation, okay? He just doesn't want a better version of Caleb who can do a little bit better and sin a little bit less. But he wants us to be a new creation, and it is only through Christ's work that that can happen. Um, you know, and Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 tells us that it, uh, our righteousness must be more than that of the Pharisees if we are to be saved. So we have to be more righteous than the people who are tithing, you know, their mint and their dill and their salt and, and all that stuff to be saved. But it is through Jesus' righteousness that we do that, not through our own works. Um, so, you know, we find an answer to this question in 1 Corinthians 30 through 31, and it says this, And because of him, with Jesus, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Okay? God makes us a new creation. It's not about all these works that we do, all these external things um, you know, we have to rest in what Jesus did, not our own ability, not our own works, because we can never earn that. Like it said, you know, we have to be greater in righteousness than the Pharisees, and it's only through Jesus that we do that, okay, not through us. Um, and I think back to the, you know, the different levels of the temple that we talked about earlier, there's all this separation from God. But because of what Jesus has done, there's not all those different levels. We're not on the outer courts anymore. We're a full-fledged part of God's family because of what Jesus has done. There's no, you know, Hebrews 4 tells us that, you know, because of what Jesus has done and Jesus is our high priest, we can go to God's throne of grace with confidence. We don't have to be scared about any divisions or anything like that. So, so no works get us into God's family. It is by God making us in a new creation and repenting and believing. So I think the next logical question as we're reading this, okay, Peter and James and these guys are saying, okay, we, you don't need to be circumcised to be saved. You just need faith in Jesus. But where are they getting this from? What is their reasoning as they're doing this? And so I think the first thing we see is their firsthand personal experience so, in, uh, like I said earlier, in Acts 10, Peter goes to uh, this Roman centurion's house uh, because he sends messengers to go fetch for Peter, and then Peter then shares the gospel with him, and, you know, before they even verbally say anything after believing in their hearts, they, the Holy Spirit comes down upon them, and, and so Peter has personally experienced this. And then if we think about Paul and the, the text from last week where uh, Paul goes out to Cyprus, we see that a Roman governor is also saved. So personal experience is number one. Number two, the Holy Spirit tells them in supernatural ways that this is what God is doing. So Saul, Paul, whatever you want to call him, both are correct. Um, on the road to Damascus, he has this supernatural experience, and God tells him that he is going to be his messenger to the Gentiles. 
And then Peter had a dream several times telling him that God has made all things clean, not just food, but also the people, the Gentiles. Um, so that's point number two, that um, he, through uh, supernatural means, God has told them that. And then number three, James makes the case from Scripture that this was God's plan. He's not just making this up, and it's just not his, his personal experience. It's verified by God's Word, okay? So, you know, hundreds of years before what was happening in Acts, the, uh, the prophets had prophesied, and they had said that this was going to happen. And so here's just a few examples of this. Jeremiah 31 tells us that the law will be written on our hearts in the New Covenant, and that God will not only save Israel, but from the least to the greatest will know God. And then Isaiah 45 says, Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. Uh, there's, no, there's no God but God alone. And he's saying that all the ends of the earth, everyone, not just Israel, can be saved. Deuteronomy 10 talks about uh, how Israel should love people who are not from Israel. So the Hebrew word gar there, which means anyone who is not an Israelite, could should be loved by Israel because they should learn about the good things that God is doing in Israel. They should be an example for others. And then in Joel 2, which is a passage that Peter earlier references, it says, "...the Spirit will be poured on everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, not just the Jews." And then finally here in Acts 15, we see James quoting Amos 9, which, you know, for a lot of people is not a favorite book of the Bible. It's kind of a a smaller prophet there. Um, And it says that all nations who are called by God will be saved, and God will do a work and go out to the nations. Um, You know, so as we become more acquainted with the Old Testament, as you read it more, you'll see that this was God's plan all along, that this wasn't something crazy that was happening here, that they had a reason to believe it in the Bible itself. It wasn't just something that Peter, James, and John were making up. Um, So we see that in Acts 15 that James, the elders, and the apostles go back to the Bible for making these big decisions that they're they're having to make. Um, And so this is something we should practice in our own lives, you know. If we feel like God is telling us something, we should go back to the Bible and verify that that is what he actually wants us to do. Okay, so that's a lot of things. So you might be thinking, that's a lot of information, a lot of background. What does that mean for me? What do I do with that? Um, And so I think there's three things that we can really take away from this passage. And uh, number one is we need to be saved from something to something. So we need to be saved. And uh, basics of the gospel right here. Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and all have fallen short from the glory of God. I've sinned, you've sinned, we've all sinned, okay? And, and, but Romans also tells us that we are sitting under God's wrath, that we face judgment if we do not repent and believe in Jesus. So we need to ask, have I repented and believed in Jesus for forgiveness of my sins and how I've missed the mark, you know? And I think sometimes if, we're, if we haven't done that yet, we might feel the weight of this and the guilt of our sin. And if that's you, I think we, we talk with us about this, you know? We, we feel this weight of our sin, and I know that before... I came to Christ, I felt this guilt and this shame of my sin. Um, But we can be free from this in Christ. This is the good news of the gospel, that Jesus came for our sins, and that through his life, death, and resurrection, we can be free from them. You know, and I think to be clear that, you know, sometimes we have this notion that I just need to pray a prayer, and then I'll be saved. But this is not what uh, we see here. It's, you know, it's a call to repentance, and that after we repent and believe, we're also expected to have our lives changed, so our desires will be changed by God. Remember what I talked about earlier. We are a new creation, okay? We're expected to live in that as a new creation, all right? But this takes us to point number two. So after we have been made new and repented and believed, 
we need to regularly confess our sins to other Christians, all right? We are saved in Christ alone, through grace alone, and by faith alone. So, you know, I think a lot of times we think, okay, I am good because I believe in Jesus. But then we sometimes use this as an excuse to continue on sinning or not confess our sins to others. Um, And, you know, Paul says that, you know, should we sin more that grace may abound? By no means should we do this. We need to confess our sins. We need to try to become more like Christ. Um, So this is the pattern of the Christian life that we continually repent. Not that we need to be saved again, but that we need to continue to grow in holiness. You know, our works don't save us, and, and I think we need to be clear about that. But in Acts 19 through 21, which I didn't have time to get through all of that, you see that uh, James is advocating that they still need to live out the Christian life. They still need to expect uh, changes in their life and live out uh, things as a result of the gospel. So we should ask ourselves, am I regularly repenting of my sin? Am I confessing my sin to others, working through this with other people? Um, you know, and 1 John 2 says that we need to confess our sin, and this should be a regular practice. Uh, but this isn't to like shame us and to say, oh, well, you need to really work on this and that's, you know, you know, that type of thing. But 1 John 2 also tells us that Jesus is interceding for us. We don't have this lack of hope and need to be down on ourselves because we have this hope in Jesus and that he is interceding for us with the Father. So the church is a family that seeks to help one another live out the gospel in the messiness of each other's lives. And this is really hard to do. Um, but we all of our sin has been covered by the blood of Jesus, so we don't need to be ashamed of that. We need to work through that with others in community. So, you know, I'm not immune to this, and I still mess up. I still sin, you know, um, and I'm, I'm sure you guys know that, but, you know, one of the things that really identifies uh, sin in your life, I think, is marriage, and so as you live together and, and you know, do everything together, it, it, it really exemplifies, oh, I'm not maybe as good as I thought I was, you know, that, that type of thing. Um, and the Bible tells husbands that they need to lay their life down as Jesus laid his life down for the church. So it's a high standard, high standard for husbands, and, uh, you know, we need God's grace to do that. Um, and, you know, I haven't always lived up to that. Sometimes I'm prideful in our relationship, and I won't really listen to my wife, Abby. And, you know, most of the time, if I was a smart husband, I would realize that she's right, um, Yep, yep, she's right most of the time, and I'm wrong, but, you know, so I need to confess that pride and repent about it, okay? I need to confess that sin to her. her. Um, And, you know, my point is that that might seem like a small thing than me just not listening to her, but all of our sins separate us from God, you know, even even things that might seem small to us. Um, You know, we might think, okay, well, I haven't killed anybody, I haven't been sleeping with my boyfriend or girlfriend or anything like that. Uh, but God tells us, uh, you know, that we need to change even our thoughts and our desires. In uh, Matthew 5, Jesus tells us that, you know, if, you know, you've lusted after a woman in your heart that you have sinned. So it's not even just the action, but it's the thought and the desire that needs to change as well. Uh, so we need to confess even what seems little to us, to others. Uh, and I think God will do a work when we do that um, and, and start to change us in our lives. That's not to say that's an instant fix for sin, confessing it to others, but it really does help us, and it helps us link arms with one another as we go out. Um, so we need to regularly confess sin to one another and bear each other's burdens. That is, that is a part of being in Jesus' family. So point number three, the Bible is the final authority we go to with questions about our faith. Um, this is, like I said earlier, this is what we see James do. The final authority is the Bible on this question. Um, 
So as we try to live the Christian life, no doubt we'll have questions and things that are difficult for us. Um, So we need to go back to the Bible. And we see that even the Bible has the authority over the elders and the apostles here, that this was really the the final nail in the point here was what when James shared from Amos 9. Um, So this is why reading your Bible is so important, because it shows us how we need to live our lives uh, as a result of the gospel and what God's done uh, for us here. So you know, for example, last week, Joe talked about how we respond to suffering as Christians, and this is a really difficult topic because there's a lot of emotion and personal experiences that uh, go along with that, and that's really hard. Um, but I think our perspective needs to be shaped by the Bible as we're dealing with suffering and difficult times in our lives. Um, and, you know, the Bible doesn't make suffering trite or minimize it in any way, um, it definitely deals and wrestles with uh, the reality of suffering. Um, and this is what I've seen in my life, too. Um, you know, my wife and I were a part of a church plant team to uh, Madison, Wisconsin, a few years ago. Um, and a few months after we moved there, um, we found out that my wife has Crohn's disease, and she had to spend several uh, weeks in the hospital. Um, and, you know, as a result of that, she has to live with pain and discomfort in, as a regular part of her life. Um, and when I first found out, I was, you know, really questioning why God would let that happen in my life. Why would God do this? I was just moving here for him. I was doing this for him. So why is this going on? And during this time, I would regularly read Psalm 40 over and over again. Um, and so as I wrestled with those feelings and those difficulties, uh, you know, I think God really used that passage to change my perspective and to uh, see that God can work even through that suffering. And, you know, it's a very relatable passage. So if you're ever going through a hard time, I would encourage you to read it because it talks about how he's surrounded uh, by his enemies and he's in the middle of this bog. And so I think that passage really helped me uh, to uh, change my perspective on the suffering that I was having and, and try to understand a little bit more of what God was doing through that. And that doesn't minimize the pain and the difficulty that there was through that experience, but it really helped shape my perspective. So the Bible is our authority on life and life as a Christian. So just to, to recap real quick here, um, number one, it is through Christ alone that we are saved. We are saved from our brokenness uh, to the good news of the gospel, and we're a part of God's family. All right? So we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So we need to put all of our trust in this. Um, yeah, and if you've never repented and believed, and if you have not put your faith in Christ, yeah, please talk to me, talk to Joe, talk to a staff member, and we'd love to walk through that with you. All right? So we need to put all our trust in Jesus. We've been saved from our brokenness and suffering. Then number two, we must continue to live the Christian life in light of the gospel. So we need to remember that it is Christ's sacrifice that saves us, and he is our advocate. So we should repent and uh, repent and confess our sins to others as a regular part of our life. All right? And then number three, real simple, the Bible is our authority in the Christian life. So as we're going throughout our lives, we need to read the Bible. We need to continually make that a practice every day in our lives so we know what God's Word says. So we can, one, we know if there's something that someone's teaching that's false. So like if I ever say something that's contrary to the Bible, if Joe ever says something, tell us, you know, we want to be, the Bible is the ultimate authority over us. Tell us if there's something that you see that doesn't line up. We we are accountable as well to the Bible. So there's not, we're not up on a pedestal to where, you know, you can't bring something up to us if you see something wrong in our lives as well, Um, because the Bible is our ultimate authority there. All right, so one, 
just to recap real quick, that we're saved by grace alone and Jesus. Two, we need to continue to live life in the gospel and repent and believe and confess our sins to one another. Number three, the Bible is our final authority. All right, so I'll pray and the band will come back up. God, we thank you for what Jesus has done on the cross. Jesus, thank you for dying for us and paying the price for our sins, Jesus. Uh, And we thank you that you are our high priest, God. We thank you that your sacrifice was once and for all and that we do not have to continually make sacrifices uh, and, and, you know, all that type of stuff, and follow those 613 laws that we see in the Old Testament. Um, I just pray that as we go out, we would regularly confess sin in our lives to others in community, and that we would really use the Bible as the final authority to identify any of those areas where we're struggling, and that that would really be what we'd go back to in our lives, Jesus. We thank you for your sacrifice for us. In Jesus' name, amen.